You're listening to the Culture Builders Podcast, where we share thoughts, tools, and tips for leaders to improve relationships, raise standards, and grow personally. We're all about working to do better and to be better. You can learn more at thriveonchallenge.com. So in my work with coaches, at least the coaches that I'm supporting, I've kind of come to this realization recently enough that their challenge usually isn't a lack of awareness, like self-awareness. Yes, there's things that we all can become more aware of. There's blind spots that we can all uncover. But I think coaches, at least the ones that I'm supporting, their greatest challenge and struggle is having this awareness about something that they want to change or a few things they want to change about their team about themselves as a coach, about themselves as a person, having this awareness, but experiencing incredible frustration because they're unable to make the change. And sometimes they don't know how to make that change. Sometimes they don't even know exactly what that change is too. You know, what that culture looks like, what that coach looks like, what that life looks like. And I'm really excited because today's guest, uh, Thane Marcus, is, I guess, kind of an expert at just helping people to make those changes. And so I'm really excited to bring him on the podcast. He's a former professional golfer, and he's going to share some of his lessons from, from that experience, but then also how he helps people to make those changes by becoming fully self-aware and then to instill the necessary discipline uh, in their lives within their team to drive those changes and got some really practical ideas and strategies, things that we probably have talked about or mentioned before on the podcast, some of those things. But I think it's great to hear another person's perspective on how to implement some of those things, like things like journaling, you know, things like meditation, uh, things like um, creating some feedback loops in our life. And, and so we're Without further ado, I think we'll just kind of get right into this conversation with Thane, which is, uh, I found for myself, really, really, really beneficial, and I think you will as well. Thane, it's great to have you on the podcast today to share a little bit about kind of your journey, first off as an athlete as and in, in even a professional golfer uh, for a few years, and then to share a little bit with our listeners on how you help others through your coaching um, really focusing on self-awareness and, and, de- and developing and instilling discipline in our own lives, which I, I think I'm, I'm excited to, to pick your brain and to learn more. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, JP. I'm excited to make it happen. And uh, we've had some some back and forth for a bit now. So it's just great to be sitting with you and, and sharing a conversation here. Yeah, well, I, I'm looking forward to it. I really want to kind of pick your brain to start off with just a bit of on you know, your experience as an athlete, you know, you, you've obviously golf was your big sport. You went on to be a professional golfer. So why don't you just tell a bit about your background as an athlete as we get started here? Totally. Yeah. I started playing golf at a really young age. My dad got me into it. Um, probably right when I could, you know, three or four years old, getting a club in my hands in the backyard. And, uh, I just really enjoyed getting to be outside with him obviously early on and just sharing those memories. And then, uh, we lived about a mile from a great golf course here called Prairie Dunes Country Club. And um, so, you know, it's a world-class course and getting to be 
so close to it in proximity. I, I spent a ton of time out there. And as I as I got a little bit older, I really gravitated towards golf. I played basketball and uh, ran track some and played some softball. And my parents didn't football, so that was the one I didn't get. But um, I played most every sport uh, and was fairly athletic as a kid. And so I, I started gravitating towards golf because as a kid, I, I hated losing. I was hyper competitive. And because of that, I, I thought golf was a good avenue because I didn't have to rely on other teammates or coaches or referees for the results. I could take ownership of all those myself mm -hmm. and I could guarantee the victory. You know, as a kid, you kind of think that way, but it's very uh, ignorant and foolish in the sense that as you get older, you realize I have to take ownership for all of the failures and negative results too, which usually there's more of those than the successes the older you get. Um, and so golf was a really great arena for development as a child and as I grew older. And, and I really think that all sports or performing arts are that, as, as I'm sure you've talked about too, is that, you know, as kids, we don't receive feedback from adults or our parents about life very well. You know, if we get told what life is all about and how to live life, we, we kind of are rebellious and say, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to know. But if you frame it in the sport of golf or an activity that you're interested in, like, yeah, I want to get better at this. So tell me how to do that. Right. And and they're so parallel. Golf is so parallel to life that it teaches you a lot of these fundamentals that, of being a good human. And it transfers over well eventually. Uh, so I think sports or other performing arts are just great arenas for development. When you're kind of in that arena of, you know, you are obviously a talented golfer in high school and you know, moving on into college and professional. So what were some of the great kind of challenges that you did face uh, through that experience? Yeah, there's, you know, like any journey, there's there's levels and layers of those challenges. For me, you know, the first one, I, I think it's interesting to look back on the, the trajectory because early on in high school, my coach did an awesome job as a high school golf coach, which not a lot of them do, in just giving us enough to, to reach the next level without overwhelming us for where we're at in the process. He basically, for every tournament, would give us a, a one-page handout with eight, um, each hole having uh, a sentence or two description on, on exactly what the strategy was or what to how to perform um, on that hole. And, and that was just enough at high school to be like, oh, there's a little bit of strategy here. And I need to just think about maybe like how I want to play the hole versus just hitting the ball. And so that for high school was a great step. Uh, then college came the much deeper dive into the complexities of um, a whole new group of playing competitors, a whole new environment that now we're playing 54 holes instead of 18 holes. Mm -hmm. And now we're having to think through our own swing mechanics and our own strategy. And the mental side really started coming in then. Um, so for me, it, it was just a deep dive into the sea of complexity at that point. Um, and my, my college coach did a great job of really emphasizing the mental side um, and building structures around that. And and, you know, one of the key learnings for me was I, I, I saw that I had a lot of talent and I saw that I often didn't optimize or maximize that talent. And I was really frustrated with not reaching my potential in tournaments. And so one of the practices that started was journaling after every uh, tournament round. I would sit with a journal, especially a lot of times on the bus ride back and and just think, OK, walk through each hole. What mistakes did I make and why? Um, so that I could stop making as many mistakes. And I really, from that practice, started 
getting this uh, synthesis of three common mistakes I would make. It'd be one, mistakes from a lack of confidence. Uh, the second was be mistakes from poor preparation. And the third would be mistakes from bad decision making. And so these three categories were starting to, to be populated throughout each tournament round where you could see where I was weak and where I was strong. And really, if you think about it, the one that is going to be the hardest always is the confidence because you're going to hit bad shots in golf. And you have to muster up confidence the next shot, even if you don't have the recency uh, picture or bias to be able to fuel that. So a lot of that, um, that, that process helped me understand in the moment a lot more clearly what was causing uh, poor performance and how to start remedying some of that. And, and really the poor performance from um, or uh, mistakes from lack of preparation was unacceptable. That should never happen, especially when you get your systems in place you, you need to be prepared to hit every shot and that's something that you always can do and so that one started to get more and more short up um, the one from bad decision making will get short up um, but it won't always disappear because there's always in, in golf and in life there's always decisions that could go either way i could do this or that and it's hard to know in the moment um, so you can't fully eliminate those but you can work on um, maybe like a, assessing or amassing a, a wide range of experience to where you can then better choose. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I, I definitely can appreciate just like, I think coaches focus a lot on the third one, which is to prepare, right? Preparation, preparation. But we have to also be patient to know that our players, our team, we must amass experience, like you said. I think the last, the other, the first one that was confidence. How, like, as a as a as a professional golfer, do you build confidence? Like, what type of things did you do to address that area that I think coaches could learn from? Totally. Well, that is a never-ending journey, to be honest, because there's going to be in any sport. Uh, uh, a rhythm or waves of momentum. And so the first step is really recognizing where you're at in that momentum process. Are you like in a valley trying to climb out of it? Are you at the mountaintop and trying to stay there as long as possible? Are you on the downslope? Are you on upslope? And each stage of that process creates a different focus or emphasis. So I think the first part is recognizing where you're at. So if I'm like in the valley low, like I've been playing bad, I'm just scrounging. I'm just trying to claw my way out of a hole in a sense then my focus is going to be, okay, what is uh, a really great performance that I can really remember and visualize and, and really emphasize in my mental preparation for the performance? But along with that, how can I just put in as much work as possible to regain some of that feel in practice? So a lot of it is I need to, I need to practice my way out of this along with putting in the mental effort to, to visualize it clearly enough to where you can see it even if you don't really believe in it fully because and, and, that helps you believe in it. And really, if we don't have the belief in it, it's not going to happen. Um, so recognizing where you're at is a big part of that. And then for me, uh, especially professionally, I, I had to go through this process of understanding what was driving me. And, and I think the biggest thing is when we are driven by fear, it's going to limit our performance. And so this fear can manifest in a lot of ways. But for me, it was a uh, fear of failure. It was fear of um, other people that I played with. And it was a fear of um, letting other people down. And all those are kind of tied together. But the fear of other 
people and their opinions of me was a biggest one of the biggest limiting factors I had to remedy. Uh, and it started showing up in that I would notice after rounds when I played with certain playing competitors in my same group that I respected more and I wanted them to respect my game, I played out of fear because I didn't want to look bad in front of them. And that was a, a you know, that's a pretty deep level of this fear. It's, it's not even conscious, more subconscious. And it took me a while to finally recognize that that was there and that was driving, that was producing fear in certain moments that were pivotal moments in the round where I needed to pull off a shot or where there was mounting pressure or where I needed to turn the momentum around. And it, and it led to poor results because it wasn't based in a confidence in who I am, what I'm doing, and a belief in my own ability and my game. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, it's I kind of connect that with Jeff Miller. of the He was the Phillies mental uh, uh, skills coach. And, you know, I remember him saying, you know, it's just first off, identifying why does this matter to you? Like, why are you why are you struggling with that? it's 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 such a difficult mental game. I mean, I was just out three weeks ago golfing on a Thursday, getting ready for my Saturday golf trip with my buddies. And I'm like on fire. I was doing quick nine holes with my friend. I'm going to the ninth hole. I've, I've had the best eight holes I've had in, in probably all year long. I'm like, gosh, this feels great. I was like, I feel like I'm going to crush it this weekend. And then I, I, I hit a nine on a, on a par four. So, uh, you know, I lost all confidence completely out the window. So it's so it's so frustrating. And as coaches, I think we're on the sidelines or wherever we're kind of coaching, whether you're on a golf course or a, you know a basketball court or football field, and you're just you feel almost helpless. I as does the player. Like you know, like mm-hmm. how do you help? You know, I think that's such a big challenge. But I think those are two really good suggestions of just getting players to recognize that and then to maybe talk through with them, you know, what is driving this fear? What is driving this anxiety that's that's affecting your confidence, right? Yeah, you know, and it's it's true with the body, too. You know, the second half of my career, I faced a, a muscle strain in my left rhomboid that repeated five times over a year and a half, and it was golf-specific. So it, it sidelined me off and on over a year and a half and was really frustrating and debilitating. But through that process, you start you know, understanding that oftentimes in the body we treat symptoms and not the root. And so by treating the symptoms, it repeated itself until I finally got to the root and finally got better at how do I solve the root versus just treat the symptoms. Because if you just treat the symptoms, the root's gonna keep persisting and you're going to face the same problem. And that was true in my body, but that's also true like you're talking about with the athletes that you're coaching. If you only treat and recognize those symptoms that are uh, those symptom things that you're seeing on the surface, but you don't actually get to the root of what's going on, you may treat that in the moment, but it won't remedy the root cause or problem that's going on underneath it. And what what we're talking about here with the fears, that that is often a root problem or a cause that's going on that produces these surface symptoms and so by taking the time like you're saying to sit with them and really process like where is this coming from understanding it discovering it and understanding it then we can better optimize it um and and remedy it and so i think it's a really important process and the hard part is it takes time and it's slow and it doesn't have tangible results immediately yeah no i think everyone wants to just get all their players to download the mental training app and to be mentally strong but gosh, there's such value in having one-on-one conversations with them to help walk 
this kind of path with them, which as you were talking there about a few minutes ago, there was something that popped into my head. You had made how like golf is like a great, you know, preparation for life, right? There's so many great, you know, connections. And I think as anyone goes on their athletic career, uh, you know, how we use our sport to better ourselves for life is oftentimes dependent upon the people that we have mentoring us through that process. You know, I mean, just to come back to golf, like you look at Tiger Woods and, you know, obviously he was very successful, but he had all these other off the off the course issues that, you know, have really, de- you know, destroyed his career, you know, at the latter half. And I mean, obviously, if you read about his father, you can know, you know, what the type of driver he was into his life. And you can see why mm-hmm. some of these problems arose, you know, and so you gosh, you think, man, if he had maybe another mentor in his life that was able to kind of see things from a different lens, it'd have been so beneficial. So as I'm looking at you, you're, you're, you are out there, you're, you're making a difference in the world. You, you are thoughtful, you're philosophical, you read things, you, you clearly are trying to better yourself and better other people and that's probably come largely from your experience in golf. So who mm-hmm. on your journey helped you to interpret those experiences on the golf course to, to, to then apply them to life? Who was that person for you? Yeah, I love I love that question in that frame because it's so true. We are products of the people around us that surround us and build us up. No one uh, – the bootstrapping myth is very real. No one pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. That's just a lie, you know? I, I love the quote uh, Bill Simon said, I was born on third base and thought I hit a triple. And I think that's just beautiful for, like, what I like to share is that, look, I was born on third base and often early on thought I hit a triple. But the reality is I didn't choose where I was born, uh, the family I was born into, the opportunities I was given. Those were all uh, gifts, right? So – goal, my job is to, to steward that response and be responsible for that well. Um, and everyone's born in a different place and different time, given different opportunities. And that's not on the same playing field. Everyone's mm-hmm. in a different place in that. So I think it's important to recognize that. And the other, like you said, is that um, we are so limited by ourselves and we are so empowered through a community and through others. And for me, so many people along the way that have have built me and shaped me into who I am. I mean, the earliest would be my parents, my mom and my dad. I've done a great job of building a foundation of responsibility and of ownership and of um, also encouragement and empowerment. They they always encouraged me um, to try my hardest. They cared less about the results. They cared more about the effort. And I think with that being communicated was a really great foundation for me as a kid. And then coming into college, my collegiate uh, coach, Jason Semmelsberger, was just an incredible mentor and guide in those formative years of of really caring more about who we are as men than really our performance on the golf course. And he communicated that in a lot of ways. Uh, but I love one of the principles that he instilled in our team was just the importance of showing up on time. He had this uh, team rule where if you showed up late to a uh, workout meeting or practice you it was a three three strike rule the first tardy or late you do 50 push-ups the second one he run you wake up early and he runs you till you probably puke um (laughs) and then the third one is you miss a tournament and so this repeated you you got a clean slate every semester but um and there was some grace in that if it was outside of your um, you're doing, meaning you're driving to practice and there's a train or something and you text him before the time, 
um, then there's some grace there. Uh, so it was very fair. It was very um, equitable, but it was also holding a line saying, hey, being a responsible human and being an adult and being a man means you need to respect other people's time by saying when you're going to be here at a certain time, you show up there or you let them know. And that stuck with me today. If I'm, I, my wife can tell you, like, she's like, why are you texting that person? I'm like, look, if we're not there on time, I want to let them know, sorry, I'm running a few minutes late. My bad, you know, just to give them a heads up, show them that you care. Like it's something about. And so I, I love that it was bigger than golf. It was more about us as men. Um, and then beyond golf, uh, beyond college, uh, into professional golf, my grandpa was a great mentor, especially on the business side and um, on the relationship side and just uh, making advice and decision making in those tough times. He was a great guide uh, that gave me so much. And, and, and then along the way, I've had so many spiritual mentors, so many men that have poured into me, um, especially in college and then even now uh, going into marriage. I, I couldn't do it without the people that are in my life supporting me. Yeah, that's great. Um, there's another piece you mentioned earlier, kind of telling about your golf, which is that you started to journal as a, co a collegiate golfer. Is that a habit that you still practice in your life? Yes, I think journaling is really important. And I think it's always hard to do. I just want to caveat it with that in that, you know, even today, even knowing the benefits of it, I still sometimes struggle with following through with the commitment of it because as like achievers or um, uh, people who are wired for achievement, like most of a Western culture is, you think, oh, it's not as productive. I'm not getting as much done because I'm sitting with a journal. But really, that's some of the most productive things we can do. And it creates space for us to really think well. Um, so I, I typically, uh, in my morning times of reading and, and kind of my time with God, I, I journal after that usually. And then I'll, I'll do once a month where I'll sit with a journal and kind of hash out the state of affairs, as I call it. And it's kind of just a snapshot of where I'm at and where I'm going to give me a bearing. But I think journaling is essential. And with especially with golf and performance, it, it became one of the most important practices that I did. It, in professional golf, it turned into journaling after every practice session, along with every um, tournament or round I played. Because what I started realizing, especially in professional golf, was that when I was practicing and working on my game, you know, so often and and trying to get to the inch higher and higher up in the levels, I realized that if I didn't take the time to journal after a practice session, oftentimes the next day when I was practicing, I would relearn what I learned the day before. And that's such a waste of time in the sense that I don't need to relearn it if I've already learned it. Um, and so by writing it down and processing it after the practice session itself, I was able to come into the next day's practice session with a better understanding and focus and awareness of what I had worked on and learned maybe mentally or within a drill or within a technique or a grip or something that felt good and apply that the next day so that I could get to another level beyond that um, in the process. So that was just a really powerful tool and, and it and it's so simple and so accessible. So I can't I can't speak highly enough of it. Mm. And what when you're journaling now, what does your journal practice look like? You know, besides you kind of do it in the morning. I'm always interested in that. I, I, I do a lot with journaling myself, but I'm always playing around. It's nothing really consistent for me. So I'm always curious what other people, you know, what's their kind of journaling habit look like? Yeah. So the morning one is pretty simple. It's just truth. It's gratitude. And it's today are the three sections. So uh, truth is usually something I'm learning about God or from the Bible that I read. Um, 
or a book or a meditation. Gratitude is just three to however many, like this morning I think it was about five, things I'm grateful for, or just I really want to express my gratitude towards. And then today is like really the top key priorities that I just can think of top of my mind before I look at my schedule. Um, that's kind of a great way to start the day. It's simple, it takes about five minutes and just produces um, other practices. I, again, I like the once a week or once a month, uh, something where you sit down and just kind of grab the state of affairs. Like for me, I've, I've several hats I wear and I juggle a few balls. So it's, it's kind of creating those buckets of my current life and then what the top level priorities are within each or what the opportunities are within each. And that's a great way to just produce clarity within my weekly, you know, tasks and uh, responsibilities. And then beyond that, I, I will, and not super often, but I love when I find a good question or a good thought, or even this week, uh, as I mentioned before, my grandfather dying, one of the things I want to do is just sit with a journal and, and just kind of express my feelings in a way that I can better understand them, you know, in this process of someone um, passing from this life into the next or whatever it may be. And, and, and one of the ones I recently found that I, I haven't sat with yet, but is on my list to do is what is your hundred year vision? You know, and just sitting with that question of like, what is a hundred year vision for your life? No, I, I love, you know, mixing up with different types of questions like that occasionally to myself, you know, like one that I like to do is, is just write to myself as if I'm 90 year old JP, you know, like what would he advice would he give current JP as he sets out on his day. You know, I just think those type of things mm. are great. Obviously, it's nice to have something a little bit routine as well. So I like to have something as kind of my backup. So like when I'm, you know, I don't want to have to be making, you know, always, you know, unique decisions in the morning when I'm just trying to journal, you know. And I think the big thing too you you mentioned too is just just sitting alone with your thoughts, you know, and just being there in solitude and uh, it's, it's, it's a struggle to do that more and more today, obviously, because of so many things in life, um, that, that challenge us around technology, right? So let's kind of dive into kind of the two things that I know that you're, you're releasing a course, which you're going to tell us a little about at the end here, but, um, you know, this idea of self-awareness, becoming more mm. self-aware, I, I think there's a lot of coaches or people in general and, and we all have blind spots, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, um, uncovering those blind spots is, is challenging. And it's also, you know, emotionally taxing on an individual. Right. So, you know, when it comes to self-awareness, like how do you help the people that you work with and support through your coaching, uh, to become more self-aware? Yeah. Self-awareness is huge. Um, and and just to speak even to what you were saying earlier with journaling, I think it fits really well. You know, I, journaling is what I believe to be one of the primary practices with self-awareness. I in the course I break down there's three primary practices uh, or primary tools. Uh, journaling and reflection is one of them. The second is feedback. Um, so having someone, a close friend or a coach or someone in your life to give you feedback. Uh, and the third is a meditation. And so these three primary tools are pretty simple and they're very obvious in a lot of ways, but they are the key tools that produce a greater awareness of ourselves. And before we're even talking about those, I like to think about like, why does self-awareness matter? You know, we hear about that a lot. We hear about this idea of self-awareness and what does it even mean and why does it matter? Right. And 
I think it matters because a big the big rally cry that I, I've kind of synthesized over the years that I'm all about is taking ownership and never settling. And, and the first part of taking ownership, we in order to be able to take ownership for our thoughts, behaviors, and actions in our lives, ultimately, we have to recognize what we need to take ownership for and, more importantly, what we're not taking ownership for. Uh, and so I think a lot of times as humans, we we end up trying to make excuses or pass off the blame or justify why we do what we do and maybe why we aren't doing what we said we would do or being the person that we say we want to be. And that's living a life with integrity is ultimately being the person you say you are or who you want to be. Um, and so in order to live aligned lives, we need to be able to take ownership. In order to take ownership, we have to recognize what to take ownership for, which requires self-awareness. And that's why I think self-awareness is the key to being able to take ownership, not only in our sport, but in our lives. Um, and I love the quote Chris Wirtz said, if you can't self-observe, you can't self-correct. Mm. And so a lot of being able to self see yourself well it is in order to see steer yourself well. You have to see yourself well in order to steer yourself well. Um, and this really hones in on the idea of self-leadership. A lot of times we think about leadership of others as the important talk talking point and what our goal should be. But but before that always is being able to lead yourself well. Because if you can't lead yourself well, you won't be able to lead, lead others well. Um, and, and so this is self-awareness is a key component to leading yourself well, being a good self-leader so that you can eventually be a good leader of others as well. Uh, and and how I break it out in the course is I give tools and then the, the process as well. And the process is really simple. Again, these are not novel things, but it's giving people something to move through as they go in the process. Because I think a lot of these things like journaling, right? They're not that complicated. They're not that um awe-inspiring, but it's those simple, unsexy things that really produce the growth within us. Uh, and the process is this idea of uh, retroactively, actively, and proactively. And, and it's past, present, future, but as we've talked about, it's also discovering, it's understanding, and then it's optimizing. So this threefold process that we go through, it, the discovering is looking back and saying, okay, with a journal and reflection, right? Why did I do what I did? Why did that mistake happen on the golf course? Or why did I maybe mess up in my job here? Why did I not wake up on time for this whatever, you know? And so it's sitting and reflecting and discovering what caused what within ourselves. And that often happens by journaling and reflecting. The understanding piece then is, okay, how can I start actively, not just retroactively, but actively in the moment, understand why I'm doing what I'm doing? So in this conversation, you ask a question, I'm like, oh, this emotion came up. And now I recognize it. I'm like, huh, that's weird. You know, in the moment, I'm understanding why I respond the way I do or why I think the way I do. Or or maybe, you know, I saw something pop on my screen. I got distracted for a second or whatever it may be. Um, so that's more of the understanding in the moment. And that often that often comes from it can come from journaling, reflecting, but it can also come through feedback. Right. Of someone in a conversation like a coach saying, hey, I just heard you say this, but I recognize this in your life. And so where's this lack of integrity and what's what's the cause for that, right? So a coaching relationship is actually a great place for more understanding in that moment. And then that optimizing is about the proactive for the future. It's saying, okay, now that I've discovered 
uh, a part about why I do what I do or how I operate. Now that I've understood it better and how it plays out in the moment in different situations, now I'm going to look ahead in the future and try to optimize for, okay, here's a situation coming up where I know I often do this, but I want to do that. And so I'm going to set myself up for success. I'm going to prime myself for that moment so that I can act how I want to act versus how I know I often react. So it's a simple process and it, it makes a lot of intuitive sense. It's just starting to put more mental models and frameworks into it to where we can recognize it in the moments that it's happening. So you were talking earlier about ownership. Like so often our issue with self-awareness is we pass the blame, right? We, we don't want to take personal responsibility for certain things. Like you said, the person that we said we would be or we want to be. And I know from my own experience largely uh, that one of the great challenges is we aspire to be someone else, to be a stronger leader, to be a better mm -hmm. coach. And we're trying, but we're kind of just like banging our head against a nail. Like we're really not getting anywhere. It's actually mm -hmm. the more we're trying, the more we're frustrating ourselves because we don't have a clear process, kind of like you've outlined there, on which to identify those areas that we want to improve on and then to start to take action on those. Because I think that's a that's a big piece. That's where I find my where I saw so much growth was when I hired a mentor as a coach, you know, in my coaching to help me improve there. Like I wanted to change. I wanted to be better, except sometimes I didn't know exactly how to do that, how to grow. And then also better ways of doing things, better ways of responding to certain situations, better ways of disciplining, better, better ways of motivating. And so I think it's about having a process and tools that go along with that. And I think that's where people can become really, really frustrated. Now, I think there is now great access to tools and resources and processes. There's courses like yourselves and stuff like that that I think are really, really helpful. But I think where we struggle also is discipline, staying true to those things. Mm -hmm. And that's something you also work with coaches on is kind of instilling that discipline, developing that discipline within themselves, I think, so that they could actually realize that that vision of who they want to become, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, and they go hand in hand, you know. I, I think that's what's so cool about them is they're kind of a one-two punch that are essential to living a good life and living a life of integrity and, and being a leader. Uh, and so this never, the second part of it, right, the first is taking ownership, the ne second is never settling, and that's what you're speaking to now. Make a choice as humans. Our default is to take the path of least resistance. So we will go downstream and we'll take the path of least resistance when we don't make a choice. That's our natural bent. Every human. You're, there's no human that's immune to this, right? But in order to go upstream and take the path of most resistance, we have to input effort and intention. We have to say, I want to go upstream. That's the intention. And now I'm going to put the effort by rowing to do it. And, and that effort and intention is ultimately discipline. Discipline is something that requires effort and intention, a reason why behind you're choosing to go up the path of most resistance instead of least resistance. Uh, and I love the way that Jocko Willink frames it. Jocko, you know, is a big proponent of discipline, and he talks about discipline equaling freedom. And I think that is so true because it allows us to express the fullest, truest expression of ourselves in life within the structure of discipline. Uh, and it, it, I like the idea of a picture 
or a painting, a painting can't be a painting if there isn't a canvas for which it goes onto. But within that canvas, it can be whatever you want it to be. There is unlimited expressions of what a painting can be within the framework of that canvas. And I think that's so true with our lives is that we have unlimited access to the fullest of our expressions within the canvas of discipline that unlocks our ability to, to express that truly and freely. And, and I think discipline, like you said, is just a big part of um, how we can unlock and take ownership for our lives. Because if you have self-awareness, but you don't have discipline, then you're not going to be able to do the actions that you know you need to do. Because as we know, life doesn't just automatically attach itself to our purpose or our values or our goals. We have to choose to go down that path. Um, and, and life oftentimes acts more as an obstacle or hindrance than a, than a help with that. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think one of the biggest challenges on discipline, I know for myself and, and many others, is that we try to do too many things. Like, I mean, mm. by nature, listening to a podcast, we're looking for one more thing to do. You know, like we're looking for one more way to lose weight, one more way to be healthier, one more way to be better, one more way to improve our team. And so like we can feel like we're, oh, I'm disciplined because I work hard and I put effort in but you talk about intention, you know, and I think it's being really, really intentional. That's important. You know, what would you say for, to someone like me? Like, let's just look at my life right here. Like I do so much stuff where I need discipline is probably <laughs> in doing less. Like my, my, one of my favorite authors, Greg McEwen, you know, essentialism, mm -hmm. discipline, pursuit of less. I want to be more disciplined in the pursuit of less. So what advice do you have for, for myself to start to cut out good things, but not the most important things, you know, like I need to start cutting yeah. out some of these good things in my life and I just love doing them all. Yeah. And you know, I share that. I think a lot of us share that. So you're not alone. And, uh, the discipline to do less to say no is probably the most important discipline there is. Um, and, and it ties into what you had talked about earlier of um, being yourself versus trying to be someone else. I think a lot of times, and that was true of me in golf, you know, I, I would look, especially early on in my professional career, I looked to other people and their success in their game saying, okay, how can I mimic or copy their, where, what is their blueprint for success and how can I mimic or copy it so I can then experience that? And that was missing the point is that, I needed to learn what mine was, not what theirs was, and then mimic that. I needed to learn what my blueprint was, how I best operated, and then stay true to that. Um, and so we have to stop looking at what everyone else is doing and start discovering what do I need to do, right? And, and that's a big uh, challenge today with how social everyone's daily lives and work is. And we can constantly see that. So even with by replacing some time on social media with some time with a journal, we start moving in that direction. Like there's simple ways we can shift and trade off time spent here for time here that can help us better know who we are, how we best operate, so we can take the steps forward. And then the other thing to say with that is that I think we all get in trouble when we try to take the 10th step before the second step. You know, we wanna, we wanna jump to the 10th step. We wanna find a shortcut to get there faster. But by not taking the nine steps to get to the 10th, we aren't prepared for that 10th step. And so I think we need to start playing more of the long game of like, okay, 
we know that growth comes with patience and persistence, not by skipping steps or taking shortcuts. We need to take the nine steps to get to the 10th step. And so something like doing less, saying no, is a discipline of understanding that it's not about the short win, it's about the long play. It's about the marathon that life is. And I'm enjoying the process of taking the steps because I know that those will build me up into the person that I need to be in order to flourish once I get to that 10th step. I so, think, yeah, no, I, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead. You're, you're doing great there. No, I was just saying like, I think, I think with what you were talking about, the example you talked about with the discipline to say no, I think that framework or that understanding or that belief is what really helps us commit to those decisions in the moment of the daily life that will lead to more and more of our ability to focus in on the yes that really matters and say no to the other yeses that kind of matter. And, and just so just hearing you talk about that and talk about that process just makes me realize now more than ever, I think, that one of my fears or one of my reasons that I can't say no is because I choose to not trust that process. I try mm. to focus on the short term and, you know, realize that this is a long game. And, and so I, I really uh, appreciate that insight. Like it's, it really is about putting the first things in first knowing that yes you're not going to get all the things done that you technically could do but you trust that it's going to be okay you know mm -hmm. that it's going to be okay regardless of whether that endeavor like your business your your team actually succeeds or you know uh because most importantly it's going to be okay because you've stayed true to the things that are most important uh, but yeah. oftentimes the byproduct is the secondary things are enhanced, you know, as C.S. Lewis says, and we will get more wins. Our business will succeed um, and it will be there for the long haul because we've taken care of ourselves and we've taken care of, you know, other important things within our life. Yeah. Yeah. And when the goal is the process, the fruits naturally come when the goal is the fruits then the process suffers and the fruit usually isn't produced, you know? So if you think about like a tree or growing literal fruit, if you just focused on the fruit that will be produced, you know, you look at even today's uh, modern farming systems, they're doing all they can to hack the fruit in order to produce it faster, bigger, better. But that then ends up maybe changing the composition of the fruit in harmful ways that affects our bodies in ways that, you know, I, and I'm not even knowledgeable in this space, but it just makes sense that 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 trying to cheat the system or change or focus on the fruit instead of the process will corrupt some part of the fruit. And and I think that's true in our lives, just in a, in a figurative level, that if we just focus on those results and that's the only goal there is, the process will suffer and thus the results will suffer and vice versa. If we focus on the process, the fruits will benefit uh, and the process will benefit. Yes. And so I think that's why it's so important to have discipline to what's important because everyone's looking for more hacks mm -hmm. to cheat the system, to have more, be more productive, to get more done. And, and that's not necessarily being more disciplined all the time, is it? Like it's, 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 and I love what you're saying there, right? Like we're hacking like the fruit, we're trying to produce bigger fruit. And there's long-term negative effects 
uh, for that, that process. That's, that's an incredible metaphor. I love that analogy. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think with that too, it just helps us, you know, be a part of the collective humanity. I, I think for any of us to think that, uh, we are more important than other humans is just not true. You know, I think every human being is important and it shares equal worth and value. Um, and, and this way of thinking helps us return to that saying, Hey, if I just have a great conversation with JP today and it impacts you and it impacts me, that's great. You know, if, if a few people listen in, amazing. Like it's not about how many hundreds of thousands of people can I have hear my voice right now? It's more about like, how can I really reach the one person that will have a positive impact on their life and, and thus reap some fruit of this process. And going back to what we talked about earlier, how can I, uh, embrace this process so much that I'm growing from this, not just other people are benefiting. And, you know, I think we both, even in doing this podcast, are are benefiting so much just by having this conversation with each other. And mm-hmm. and that there's such beauty in that. If we if we because we get so caught up in results, we get so caught up in numbers, stats, followers, audience size, you know, what we can monetize, and and that's part of being a businessman and entrepreneur. And those are good. It's not. It just shouldn't be the ultimate, I guess. Yeah. No. Absolutely. There's um a great thing Ryan Holiday kind of actually said recently in one of his daily dad type podcasts where he talks about, you know, are the time for our kids, like, are we as protective of our children's time as we are our own time? And I'm like, that was a massive wake up call. And it just rings true to what you're saying today as well is, you know, I think leaders, coaches, we struggle. Wow. We got, I need that hour for film. I need this. Like we will fight tooth and nail for our practice time, for our film time, for all the time to do the things that we think we need to do to be the best team, to be the best even version of ourselves, our workout time. Like we protect that. And I, I think that's important. But man, do we fight for the time of our children that's like most important, you know, and mm. having that discipline there, I think comes comes back to the process too as well. It's just, it's just been a really fascinating conversation with you today i'd i'd love to keep going but i do have to pick up my kids shortly so (laughs) we will protect we will protect their time and i'll let you kind of just tell us a little bit about this this course that you're releasing on ownership self-awareness and 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 developing discipline yeah thanks jp i know it, it i love conversations that you want to keep going it's just it's a it's a joy to be a part of and the two courses um that i am launching november 15th are one taking ownership and that's all about growing self-awareness and the second is never settle which is all about developing discipline and they're both going to be eight week courses um and they are self-directed so if people ultimately want to go through faster or slower they can but i i recommend eight weeks um and yeah i'm just really excited because i think they're they're simple but effective in giving people a process a framework and tools to help move through that and end that eight week period by by really uh growing in these ways and becoming more disciplined and aware people, which I think are the two key components to being good self-leaders. And that's ultimately what I'm, I'm trying to produce in myself and in those around me. No, absolutely. I love that. Um, I'll put all the links in the details uh, of this episode, uh, your website, 
is ThaneMarcus.com, and I'm sure they'll be able to read up all about you, follow you there, email you, reach out to you, check out um, all that stuff there. So uh, thanks again for this conversation, brother. It's been a lot of fun, JP. I appreciate it, and I love the work that you're doing. So that's it for my conversation with Thane. Uh, Thanks again to everyone who has just kind of been providing some feedback on these conversations. Uh, We had Jack Fleming uh, last week on. Before that, we had Adam Hanover. And we've got some more coaches lined up. And I just, I really enjoy having these conversations. And I'm glad people are finding some value in kind of listening in on these conversations as I kind of learn and grow from just some great coaches out there. And I think it's always good to to know you're, you're not in this alone like other people are going through similar challenges and similar struggles. And, and that's why there are people like Thane. And that's why we do the work that we do at Thrive On Challenge of providing mentorship for coaches, providing support for coaches, because there's value in it, right? People connect with this. People need this type of support. And it may not be for everyone, it may not be for you, uh, but for those coaches out there that have struggled to make the changes that they've wanted in their team, within their coaching, within their own life. I'd really encourage you to just just try, step out, set up a call with Nate Sanderson or myself, just hop on the link there, just reach out to us. We'd love to hear your story, love to hear what you're struggling with, what's difficult, and just see if we can help. Uh, It cannot hurt to reach out. So many coaches uh, hesitated to make that initial investment, just that initial investment of time. But those that have, those that have made that investment of time and then the resources, the financial resources, either from their school or or their own, you know, paying for it on their own, over 90% of them still are part of the TOC community today, which which for me is just so affirming uh, of the work that we're doing here to support coaches. And it's encouraging for me uh, to continue our work so we'd love to hear from you. There's a link in the details of this episode. Also, be sure to check out Thane's course um, and his website uh, if that's of interest to you. And uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Share it with some of our coaches out there. Uh, get the message out there on Thane and, uh, and get people investing themselves by checking out these weekly conversations with coaches as well as listening in for just kind of those daily two to three minute episodes just trying to help you step out as leaders and continue to do things the right way.